as you grow a little older, and we, we're doing that, my wife and I, maybe you're not, but we are. And, um, you know, you want to stay as in love with Jesus at the end as at the beginning. You want, you know, where it says you've lost your first love. It's like, um, it's difficult to describe, isn't it, first love, but when you fall in love, the person you fall in love with is always on your mind. And you always want to talk about them, and you're always, you know, but other things, you know, that's how it is. It's not difficult, and you think about them a lot, and you spend your energy and your time and your money and everything because you love them, don't you? You buy gifts for them, and don't you? Yeah. And do all sorts of things like that. And and I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's useful when you see young people. We've... You remember Marcus and Emily that were in came down with you here, and it's good to see them going on with the Lord. And he, you know, before he got saved, he was um, well. Both of them were pretty much into a hedonistic kind of lifestyle of festivals and drugs and everything, rock and roll, everything that the world can offer in that way. And it was just interesting to see them back with us and to talk with them and to see how that all he ever wants to talk about is Jesus. From the minute that he got saved, that's all he wants to talk about. All he wants to do is read this book. And, you know, every every other conversation is sort of lost on him. It's just, it doesn't happen for him. And he said to me, he was one of the things that for them was the big event of the year was, of course, the Glastonbury Festival, because that was... They looked forward to it, they planned for it, they wanted to make sure they were there, and that was the high spot in his life, you know. And he just said to me this time when, he, when it was on, he just said, do you know, I wouldn't even go over the gate of it now. I wouldn't even bother. He said, because I know that it doesn't, it hasn't got what I thought it had, and I found the real thing. That doesn't mean that he hasn't, you know, there, there aren't challenges. And when you say that sometimes the cares of this world is one of the things that kind of choke out our love, it sort of distracts us from falling and staying in love with him and staying sweet with him and knowing that, you know, that he is enough and that we're in that, we're in that loving, re living relationship and... I think for all of you, that's our desire, is that you stay in that place and that you learn how to deal with some of the other things that would take you away from that, which, and there are many things that will try and do that. We have, we do have an enemy. He has many tactics, but we're not ignorant of his ways and we can, you know, we can overcome and we can help each other and overcome and we can stay in a place of encouragement. That's why prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit are so essential to be running around, not just in the meeting, but all the time as they're present. As God speaks his word, it somehow brings that sense of revitalizing us and so on. And I was thinking about it here today and I thought of that scripture where, um, you know, Jesus is dealing, let me just read it to you. Um, 
it's in, it's in, there, there are two accounts of it and the accounts actually help each other. So it's worth, I won't make you read all both accounts, but I'm going to draw your attention to one of the differences or the additions in the different accounts. But the one I'm going to read from is found in Luke chapter 7. And um, it starts at verse 18. It said, John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, told him about all these things. Um, so let me just say that just before that, in, in Luke's account, it, we have this wonderful story, which is you can read for yourself, where Jesus is doing miracles all over the place, and particularly there's this, they arrive at a town and they're bringing this dead boy out. And, uh, you know, and she's a widow, his mother's a widow. And she's weeping and distressed. I mean, she's not only lost her husband, but she's also lost her only boy. And, uh, you know, Jesus is observing this and he sees this happening and he just says, interesting, because I've got this red letter Bible, so it just picks out the only things that Jesus says. It tells you the background, this is the background. They approach this town, out there bringing this dead boy and the story is such that, you know, he is the only son of this widow and the widow is crying so the only thing you just imagine jesus is observing this taking it in and he looks at the widow and he says don't cry that's all he says don't cry and then he walks over to the young man in the coffin and he just addresses the man who's dead of course he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And of course, the young man, life flows back into him and he, he is alive. And so all these people who are mourning and all that's going on in their heads, as you can imagine, and the widow too, um, you know, suddenly she's got the boy and he presents her to him and says, you don't need to cry. I've intervened and I've set this, you know, this is a beautiful, beautiful story, beautiful picture of our Jesus. And of course this and many other things are happening. There's all kinds of things going on. And so John the Baptist at this time is in prison because he's, if you remember, he was, he'd approached Herod who was the king who happened to have ditched his first wife and had taken on board his brother's wife. And uh, so John the Baptist went and told him that that wasn't a good thing to do and that God wasn't pleased with that. And so after a little while, you know, Herod gets John thrown into the dungeons to try and silence him and get him out of his head because he doesn't like what he's hearing. And um, so at this point, he's been in prison for a little while. In fact, he's thrown into prison pretty early on in his ministry, John the Baptist. And there he is in prison. And now you've got this, you remember the last thing he said concerning Jesus was he said, he must increase and I must decrease. And of course, Jesus is now coming into his ministry and he's got 
um, you know, he's, he's beginning to see all these wonderful things happen. And here's an, one wonderful story amongst so many sick people, blind people seeing, and so on and so on. So anyway, um, John the Baptist is in prison, and some of John the Baptist's disciples are still going to visit him, presumably, in prison. And so one day they call around to see him in the dungeons, and they tell him all about what Jesus is doing. And so John is, let's read it, he's, John's kind of provoked by this. He said, um, he called two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should I expect someone else? So he's been in prison having lots of time on his hands, not having freedom, not having much good food, I don't imagine, probably pretty rough in prison there, had lots of times to, time to think, isn't doing much, is he? He's not able to do very much in prison. And so he's beginning to question whether or not he's got it right. He's thinking, man, Maybe, maybe I was, maybe Jesus isn't the one. And so he gets two of his disciples who are faithful and sends them off to Jesus to ask. And it said, um, and when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus, it's like now Jesus hears this. And it's almost like for a moment or two, he ignores it because it says, he then, Jesus cured many who had diseases. This is in front of these disciples. Uh, sicknesses and evil spirits gave and gave sight to many who were blind. And so... <laughs> It's like these disciples have come and say, are you the one? He said, oh, hang on a minute. Cast out a few demons, opens a few blind eyes, gets on with what he does. People who are sick are healed and so on and so on. And just before that, someone who's been dead has been raised. And so he's saying, look, can you see what I'm doing? To This is John's disciples he says this to. He said, you go back, tell John, this is what's happening. He said, so he replied to the messengers, having demonstrated this, you see. He said, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And so, and then he said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured and deaf hear, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. He said, you know, what he's appealing to is that John's reference point for who Jesus was, was the Old Testament. And if you, you, if you got a cross-reference Bible or you can just look back to those prophecies in Isaiah 35 and 29 and 61, where it says, when the Messiah comes, the Redeemer comes, these are the things that will happen. The deaf will hear, the lame will leap, 
the blind will see, you know, demons will be cast out. And he said, look, it's all happening. It's never happened before. Like this, it's all happening. And so you point John back to that prophecy. And that's the thing that will be his reference point. Because if he knows that I'm doing those things, then he does know that I am the one. But then he slips in this little thing at the end. He said, blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. Or in some translations it says, who isn't offended because of me. It's, uh, <laughs> there's a, there was a danger inside of John, even John the Baptist, a great prophet, there was a danger in his heart that because he was languishing in prison, it would appear that Jesus had paid no attention to him whatsoever. He hadn't sent him an email, hadn't rung him up, hadn't bothered to visit him, hadn't done anything at all, hadn't sent his disciples around to bust him out of prison. And so he's thinking, man, I was out there doing the stuff and here I am and he seems to be just getting on with it and ignoring me. And the problem was that in his heart, there was, it was teetering on the edge of, he's not doing much for me, is he? And he was on the, he was on the edge of being offended because Jesus wasn't doing what he expected him to do. And sometimes when we are kind of going through life and we have this expectation of Jesus and Jesus is somewhere else, he's not sending us an email, he's not even talking about it, he's somewhere else, or it seems as if he is, and we can't quite make it out. There's a danger for you and me that we can be offended with him. And once we're offended with him, your first love falls away. Your connection falls away. There's something that happens in you that you, you know, that you, you, re you really don't want to be offended. And offense comes when you have an expectation that isn't met. And that expectation can be in with Jesus an expectation that you have placed on him that isn't being fulfilled. And somehow there's a danger right then for you to go one of two ways. And, or someone that you had put your trust in, maybe one of his servants, maybe some someone else or something else and they had let you down in some dreadful way and so then you're in a place where you're just offended. And when you're offended, what you do is you pull back your heart. You know, we don't want to pull back our hearts, do we? Not in any way for any reason. Don't think you're above it because you're the same as me and the same as everybody else. It's, it can happen to you, so you have to guard your heart. You really do. I was talking to Louis, our son-in-law, who's married to Beth, some of you know. It was his 40th birthday and he had a, he had a big gang of people. He's, they've got a little camp in our fields and they had a 40th birthday weekend and there were loads of people there. And on the Sunday morning, we just sat around 
and we're chatting to people, and I didn't know all the people there, but we were in little circles, different places. And so I was talking to this guy and, and you know, and he was just telling me a little bit of his story and how, it, you know, he had loved the Lord and how he had, you know, a few things had happened with his, in his circles with a few of the leaders that he was looking to had sort of fallen and it wasn't, it was hard for him because he'd sort of put his trust in them a bit and what have you. And there were a few bits that were coming out where there was a, little hint of I've withdrawn I'm withdrawing I can't bear the pain of this and I just looked at him and I said you know you just the one thing you need to do is to guard your heart I said because the minute your heart becomes upset and offended I said you're going to lose you're going to lose the connection and this guy, he was an older man, he just begins to weep. And I thought, oh dear, we've touched something here, you know. I, and, and so, and he, he realized that what was happening to him was it was just somebody even just drawing his attention to it. Well, so he was someone who loved the Lord, but things had happened that really had thrown him. And so he, what he did was he, he began to weep and he wanted to talk and he asked me what did it mean a little bit to guard your heart and how, you know, how could he guard his heart and we went into a little bit of detail and for a moment we were in a little bit of a zone together and he was weeping and then his wife came over and said, if you don't come on we're going to miss our plane. <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm not coming because I'm here doing some business with Jesus because Jesus had tenderly somehow had come to reach out to him and to help him, to get himself back onto the track that he wanted to be on or he needed to be on. And it was, it's interesting here with Jesus and John, he realized that John was on that brink of being offended and that would be the last thing. It wouldn't be very long after this if you read through the accounts that actually John was beheaded. It wasn't very long after that. You don't want to go and be martyred when your heart isn't in the best place, do you? You don't want to, be, you don't want to live any a day with your heart, not in the best, best place with him. But if you read the account in Matthew's gospel, what you find is, you find that he not only says the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, but he adds something else. He said, as those disciples who come to ask him, is he the one? It says, as they were leaving, he began to talk about John the Baptist and that he was the greatest prophet that ever there was. No one was greater than he was. And he goes into a whole dialogue about this. Now, can you imagine if you were a disciple of John and you were just leaving to take back the message and then Jesus launches into a declaration of how great John was and what he was like. I think you'd have hung around at the door for a while and just thought, and by the way, John, when we were leaving, he just said this about you. He said, you were special, you were sent. You were the one. And so not only did he say, so he added something to it. He added some encouragement and encouraging words in there 
that would go back for John. That when John, so when they get back to John and they catch him and they say, oh, he said, look, you know the scripture. You know that the, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk and so on. That's happening. It's actually happening. And we actually, when we were there, when we arrived, instead of him talking to us straight away, he was doing that stuff. It wasn't like he was making it up and he was, he was actually doing it. It was actually happening. So we know that he is the one. Oh, and by the way, as we left and we were coming to tell you, he actually said a few things about you. He said you were the greatest of all the prophets. In other words, you haven't wasted your time. And there was a word of, and so Jesus sent that word. He did, deliberately did that so that they would hear that. And when you, it's like sometimes, I remember once I was, we used to have a lot of, when a lot of prophet people, prophetic people coming around. And, um, <laughs> and I was at the place where I was prophesied out. I didn't want anybody to prophesy over me. I couldn't get done what had already been prophesied, let alone take any more on board. And I was a little bit tired of it all. And so we had this guy who was in a big room with a lot of people there, and he was prophesying over different people. And I was literally saying, no, I wasn't doing the please prophesy over me thing. I was doing the please, Lord, don't let him prophesy over me because I couldn't bear it. And, and I don't think... And nothing at the minute can connect me emotionally because, you know, I, I'm just a bit flat and dead and full up with all that stuff. So just keep him away from me. Well, of course, he wanders over to me and stands there looking at me and I'm thinking, oh, please, no. And I think there's nothing, mate, that you can do or nothing that you can say that will encourage my heart right at this minute. So back off. That was inside. Because <laughs> I couldn't imagine anything, you know, because it was like, oh, just more words, you know. And do you know what he did? He said, he just came over to me. And uh, he looked at me and then he kissed me on the forehead. <laughs> and he said, that's just what I see the Lord doing. And all he says is, well done. And the last thing I felt was that I'd well done, you know. I didn't think, oh, I've done well. But the Lord, that's how the Lord saw it. And I tell you, he undid me just in one word, you know, because that's what prophetic word and all those and healings and him, the Lord reaching out in unexpected ways is what he does is he, he somehow keeps us connected to him in a beautiful way so that we're not offended. And so, you know, if whatever and a thousand different ways offense can come to you, but it is your responsibility at least to put yourself in the place of saying, Lord, I'm offended. I don't know how to overcome this. I, I just, please help me in some way, walk into the room and release me from this offense because there's never any reason to be offended at Jesus. It's just that you may have, you know, he's pretty much aware. I'm, I'm, Jesus wasn't going around 
um, you know, deliberately avoiding John. He would have been very conscious of John. He would have known that he was in prison. He would have known why he was in prison. He would have known about Herod. He would have known about all those things. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This is a little aside just for fun. But I've often wondered, how did, how did, how did the disciples and Jesus take care of themselves financially? Because they weren't working. Because they'd given up their boats in the end to go and serve him. And they were traveling around. And you find again, just in Luke's gospel, you find this account of where it's, it tells you how they took care of him. Because there were certain women who had been healed and cured and delivered from demons, Mary Magdalene being one of them, and, you know, who had been set free by Jesus' ministry. And they were obviously women of substance, and so that they decided that they would support Jesus' ministry and the disciples out of their own money. And it tells you that there. But what's really fascinating is that one of the women that was supporting the disciples happened to be Herod the king who had John in prison and he happened to be his main manager of his household. So top boy in the palace was managing all the affairs of Herod the king and his wife had clearly been ill from something or demonized in some way and had had an encounter with Jesus. And it had so changed her that she wanted to give her money, which no doubt was to do with her husband as well, to support Jesus. And so you've got this guy working in the palace for Herod, who's earning good money, no doubt. And then she says to him, do you mind if I slip a bit to the disciples and to Jesus? And he's so pleased at the result of Jesus' ministry to her because he's got his wife back. Do you like it? He says, okay, have the checkbook, love. <laughs> and can you imagine the conversation over tea when, because what happened was that they go on to have John the Baptist head off only a few days later. Because, you know, the, the, this girl dance, you know the story. And, uh, and then if you read what's going on with Jesus at the same time, and they kept back for tea together. So you've got Herod's manager of his affairs gets and sits down for tea, and she, who's walking, with, going around with Jesus, who's been supporting him out of Herod's money, round the back door, not in a bad way. And they say, well, how was your day? And he said, oh, I had a pretty dreadful day today. We took the head of John the Baptist off today. And, she, and then he says, how was your day? She said, well, actually we were with 5,000 people and maybe more with the children and the wives. And uh, they were hungry and Jesus fed the lot of them out of five loaves and two fish. Can you imagine that conversation going on? Back in, I think it's fascinating to me. 
that all of this is going on. And, you know, Jesus is beautiful and wonderful, and we know that. But we don't want to get jaded or offended. We don't want to be carrying bitterness in our hearts that prevents us from enjoying him for who he is and stops us receiving that flow of his love and his encouragement. We want to, you know, wherever you are on the journey, you need to be, not need to be, that sounds like pressure. I'm just saying that where we want to be, isn't, isn't it this way, that when I'm breathing my last, I want to be more in love with him than I was at the beginning. I want to be enjoying him more than ever. I want not to have any offense in me at his people or at him or at anybody. I want to be walking sweet in the spirit. And so for us here, you know what, you know, you know if, you're, if you're a brother offended, it's hard to win because you've always got loads of arguments why you won't be won. And, you know, you don't want to be offended. What you want to be is walking in sweet communion with him because if what? The scripture says if we abide in him, you don't abide in him if you're offended with him, but if you abide in him, you'll bear much fruit. Actually, things will happen around you. People will get saved around you. People will get changed. Things will take place around you, which is what you're meant for, so that your joy might be full. It's kind of an ongoing thing that happens all the time. And that's the place where he wants this glorious body to be. And we need to just head off at the pass. And if you see someone who's offended, you know, sometimes I, I think, actually, that my little word to this guy at this party when I said, you just want to guard your heart, son. I mean, he was older than me. No, he wasn't. He was younger than me. No one's older than me. Um, so anyway, you want to guard your heart. It was like, it was like, the, it was like the little rebuke. that I didn't do it as a rebuke, but I just was saying, be careful. Be careful. Because I could hear a bit of an edge in there, you know. And, he, and, he, and that little word of rebuke, brought him to repentance because it's one of the things that brings us to repentance. Rebuke is one of the things. Done it with an attitude of love. It's, it's amazing how suddenly he thought, oh, I am. That's how I am. I'm looking forward to meeting up with him a bit later. We're going to plan to do that. But it's kind of interesting, isn't it? You want to be in a place where, you know, the, the offspring of your life because you're in that sweet place is not only that you're able to bring the word of encouragement and life and lay hands on people and bless your street and bless your relatives and bless everybody around you and demonstrate the glory of God in your life. The fact is that you're like him, you're full of him. And then you'll be part of those people who are the fulfillment of the prophecy that says that this surely as he lives, you know, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. You're the glory. You're the one that's going to carry that glory. It's his glory, but you're going to carry it. But you won't carry it if you're not sweet. So if there's something, you know, just... And this is not a beat-up morning. 
This is like, if there's something in you that you think, do you know what, I have got a little offense here. I've kind of lost that little bit of joy that I once had. I'm not quite as sweet as I used to be. I'm not as close, I'm not as in fellowship with him as I used to be. Why don't you just, I'm not even gonna get you to stand up. I don't wanna expose you, but why don't we just bow our heads and we're gonna pray. And, and let's pray that he'll lift you out of that spot and bring you into a better place. Father, I want to thank you that your love for us is constant. You're perfect in all of your ways. Jesus, I thank you that <laughs> whatever reason we might think we have to be offended with something that you've done or haven't done or someone who is yours has done to us, Father, we know that when that happens, our hearts don't stay in a place of sweet flow and communion with you. And Father, we want to turn from that today. Any one of us in this room who can identify that and say, I've lost my way a little bit, I've got drawn away. And Father, I'm asking that you will answer their cry in whatever way, meet with them, <coughs> help them to come to a place of sweetness and sweet communion with you again so that we can be your representatives here mm. demonstrating your love to this community that you've placed us in. Yes. Lord, we ask that you'll help us to be that. And Lord, if we've been offended with brothers or sisters, Lord, let us draw on your grace and your Holy Spirit to find a place where it, what did matter and became obsessional to us doesn't matter anymore and we're free. Lord, let your freedom flow over this place. Let our hearts be tender again to you. Lord, we love you. You're wonderful. In Jesus' name, amen.